0: Welcome to any given Monday. I'm Hayden Adoni, and joining me on this fine evening, Duncan Song. Welcome Dun.
1: Thanks, Nads. Look, really excited for this week's show. We got a lot to get through, obviously free agency's underway, so we've got all of the deals to go through, but we're gonna focus on, you know, our, our top few and of course the really sort of like what the deals with the, you know, very average players getting paid a lot of money. So we're gonna cover off some of our worst deals of free agency as well. And then, of course, it's uh, getting closer and closer to the draft. The combine's all done now, so we're going to start our uh, positional preview. So we've got running backs and uh, edge rushes this week. So let's get through, mate. So let's dive straight into it. What have you got for your social media love this week?
0: All right, so Jimmy Garoppolo. And on Instagram, roughly about five or so days ago, a picture came up from Garoppolo's account, and the caption read, So grateful for my time in New England. Peace out, Boston so at the time it certainly seemed on the face value at least that jimmy g was out of boston and certainly through just putting a a few dots together i certainly assumed like many that jimmy g was off to cleveland i mean i even texted you pretty much as as soon as it happened i was like yeah he's off to cleveland
1: man yep you certainly did i uh was skeptical but you were certainly convinced and i was like "Geez," i was at work at the time i was like Really? I feel like that would have come out, you know, in, in the proper proper streams and avenues, not, uh, not on his Instagram page.
0: Yeah, it was certainly a bit of an odd one. But, I mean, the Patriots aren't a typical conventional franchise. That's true. So I, I, I sort of just went with it at the time. And I think the rest of the NFL Twitterverse went with it at the time as well. Because it, it turned into a, a Kardashian-like meltdown in the early hours of the morning USA time. So what happened was all the experts, so you've got your Schefters, your Rappaports, Mike Garofalo, Jay Glazer, all those kind of guys, they're all trying to get the scoop. They're trying to confirm this trade. It's come out of nowhere and everyone's like, huh? Why haven't I been given the news? Why haven't I been the one to break this? And um, it took about an hour, maybe two. What happened was a few analysts later confirmed that the post was a hoax. and. Really, to top it off, they were all complaining about being woken up in the early hours of the morning. And I only have one thing to say to all of them. You know, us Aussies, we get up at 3am every Monday during the season to watch the games and you're complaining about getting a few hours short of sleep? Like, come on guys, harden up.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, try, uh, try living down under and following this sport, mate. They'd be breaking no news whatsoever. Oh mate, they'd be sleeping the whole time. <laughs> but um, just on on Jimmy Garoppolo, I want to throw something at you. Um, I read an article the other day. I can't remember where it was or who it was from, but it, it was basically comparing, you know, the Jimmy Garoppolo hysteria and the hype train for Jimmy Garoppolo, with Matt Flynn and then also Kevin Cobb, but mainly Matt Flynn. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on that and and where you sit on the whole Jimmy Garoppolo debate.
0: Matt Flynn's the perfect example of how quarterbacks can get overhyped. So we saw Flynn was a star for one game in Green Bay. I think it was Green Bay against Detroit, and he threw for a little under, I think, 500 yards passing. It might have been more. It might have even been 550. Um, And he threw for six touchdowns. And the Packers' offense at the time did not miss a beat. So everyone equated, well, Rodgers is putting up elite stats for Green Bay and Flynn's come in and he's done the exact same thing. So, ergo, Flynn must be as good as Rogers, Exactly. So, he goes to Seattle on a three-year deal, wipes out completely, loses his job, gets traded to Oakland for a pittance, plays, I think, in one game as a starter, got thrown out instantly, got cut. Then he was, I think he went to um, Green Bay for the rest of that season and he's pretty much been irrelevant ever since. So we can certainly see that guys who play at an elite level for one or two games in their career, it's not a guarantee by any means that they're going to be your five or six year franchise guy. And that's what if anyone trades for Garoppolo, they're going to be expecting, that um, Garoppolo to be a franchise guy for the next half decade at the very least.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, part of that is fueled by the weakness of the draft class, but we'll get into that uh, in a few episodes time, but. For now, we've got a lot to get through, Liz, so let's keep it moving. Uh, Your social media hate of the week, mate.
0: Uh, The hate? Aaron Foster. You're under the bus this week, mate. (laughs) So on Twitter, Foster, about a week ago, he posted that he was looking forward to going camping. But he was a little bit scared of the wildlife. So I'm going to quote from Foster's account. I honestly think I can get a wolf one-on-one, though. I'm 230. Wolf's a what? 180, 200 tops. He has no thumbs. If I control his neck, he's donezo. So it's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> he, he reckons he can take this, this um, rampant wolf one-on-one, absolute scavenger. And he goes into a, twi- uh, a Twitter Q&A with his, all his followers saying, you know, I'm going to take this wolf. I'm going um, to knock it out. I'm going to break its neck. We're going to be all good. I'm the man. And it just... It's so ridiculous. I mean, how big does your ego have to be? And then on top of it, his ego gets inflated with Yahoo Sports picking up the story. And they put a freaking poll up asking <laughs> who would win between Foster and a Wolf. And then people voted on it. And I think he received close to 56% of the vote. Ugh. It's
1: just
0: it's just ridiculous.
1: It is ridiculous. Look, I think... Uh, I think our mate Arian is living in the past a little bit, Nads. I don't think he's... Uh, you know... If he was it, maybe if he was in his prime, no, even then, still, I'm, I'm being ridiculous. He wouldn't have a chance. But you know, he's maybe he should spend less time worrying about whether he could take a wolf in, you know, barehanded combat, and focus a little bit more on playing football. And he might get back to his glory days, mate.
0: Yeah, he might have been a
1: better player. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Well, sure. Actually, I don't know. Have we ever seen a wolf play in the NFL? Oh, that man! Stick that, him they... in some pads, mate. he a <laughs> he'd explode through some holes. Oh, yeah, I think he'd be creating a few holes of his own. Yeah, for sure. But, no, I agree with you. That was just absolutely ridiculous. But you can't help but laugh, really, can you? Uh,
0: Look, exactly. But at the same time, we see some pretty crazy stuff on Twitter. I mean, when I come up with my social media hate, I probably have about 50 things that I come across during the week thinking, oh, geez, this could be it, this could be it. So, just... It's really out of left field and I mean it really shouldn't surprise me coming from someone with such a big ego. Nah, no, very true.
1: All right, now so that does us for the social media recap for this week. Let's dive head first into free agency now. So, um, you know, we've kind of gone through the first big wave of free agency at the time of recording this, uh, this episode. And we've got a lot of guys that are, you know, getting pretty big contracts, to say the least. So where do you reckon we should start here, Nance? Oh, mate, I think we need to first just take a step back and
0: look at the stat of the day from Peter King. So King tweeted out that over the last 25 months... Ie, so this current off season and the past two off seasons, Jacksonville have dished out five hundred and forty one million dollars in free agency. Now, granted that many of these players won't fully see out their deals, so it's a little bit a little bit misleading. But that being said, that's half a billion dollars invested over the last three off seasons, and look where it gets you.
1: It gets you a two win team, nuts.
0: Exactly, they're rubbish.
1: Yeah, I, I, I did see that as well, and it's just ridiculous. I was kind of like, that can't be right, and then you sort of think about it and go, yeah, no, that's that's right, that's just the Jacksonville Jaguars. And uh, it makes me kind of happy being in the AFC South, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, it certainly makes it easier for you guys, that's for sure. <laughs> Definitely.
0: Look, I really think we're seeing quite a number of trends um, developing throughout this free agency period. So the first one I'm going to start with is that the offensive linemen, they're just getting ridiculously overpaid, man. You're seeing average to below-average guys, and they're getting paid ridiculously crazy monster deals. So yep. I'm going to bring two examples up. We've got Matt Khalil. So he signed with his brother in Carolina. Mm-hmm. So he's getting a deal worth more than $10 million per year. And then we've also got Mike Remmers, and he's getting $6 million per year with the Vikings. Now, so that's those guys are pretty below average guys they're probably like the nfl term is a jag just a guy they're they're more or less just a guy at this stage but you're seeing them getting paid it's pretty pretty um nuts money
1: oh it really is and you know we've said on on the show numerous times in the past now no matter what you're always overpaying for free agents it could be the best player in the league and you're still going to have to overpay to get him right and stuff like this is like the perfect example of overpaying for somebody who you really don't need to. Now, having said that, I think a lot of these free agency moves, um, they're a combination of two things. They're a combination, number one, of you know, teams having too much cap space so they don't really care how much money they're throwing around. And we'll get to that when we deal with Cleveland in a minute. But more importantly, I think it comes down to you know, the quality of the prospects in a particular position in the draft. Now, if we look at offensive linemen, we'll get to them in, in a few episodes' time as well. Um, you know, it's a really shallow class. You're talking maybe one, two guys that are first round talents. And so, you know, if, <clears throat> excuse me, you've seen in the past, you know, we've had numerous left tackles go in the top 10. Um, so if you've got two guys going in the first round, you can probably understand the flow on effects from that. Uh, and so, you know you're kind of paying more for a guy that you know well you know he may just be a guy but you know he's been in the league he's got a body of work that you can look at and go yeah that's serviceable we can kind of deal with that he's he's going to plug a hole for us and uh you know see what happens but when you've got not a lot to really look at in the draft you kind of forced into overpaying for some of these guys
0: True, you are forced to overpay, but at the same time, that just means that you're going to have massive problems going down down the line. So, oh, for, for sure, instance, like you got Matt Khalil, he's on ten million a year. I, I don't rate Khalil one bit. Nah, so, his brother
1: is so much better than him as well.
0: Exactly. So, in one year, maybe two at the most, they're going to have a a nice big left tackle shortage, and they're going to need to replace him. And they got Khalil on ten per year, and he's getting a lot of money. And they're not going to be able to divest like a lot of more, a lot more resources into it because Khalil's Mm -hmm. contract's going to be holding them up. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest problems is just because a guy gets paid ten million per year or like a nice big fat deal, it doesn't mean by any by any standards that that player is worthy of such a deal. And I mean you get so many fans out there thinking, oh, wow, we've just paid $10 million for this guy. He must be good. Well, hang yep. on. No, he's getting paid $10 million because your GM was stupid enough to pay it.
1: <laughs> exactly right. The other thing that kind of gets me with free agency is, you know, you see guys at the top end of the position and they're constantly getting paid more and more money. And the, you know, take Antonio Brown for an example, just signed that huge deal that's now pushed the price of every other wide receiver in the league up. So, you know, it's 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 huge at the top because he's the best and he's on big money. But that means the guys in the middle and the guys at the bottom, they still get a boost as well because, you know, everything works on a scale. So if the top goes up, the bottom moves up with it because, you know, just simple maths and, and inflation, I guess, is the word to use to yeah, describe pr- it. So you see, you see these guys at the bottom that are, are also getting paid a lot more. Based on the guys at the top getting paid a lot more, and I suppose it doesn't help uh, Sorry, doesn't help the situation as well when the caps getting bigger.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, the cap's gone up by over thirty million in the last three years. It's going up by about ten million per year. So, you, you you equate that over the over to maybe like three or four players, and you're going to bring in the numbers are just going to go up a lot. It's, yep. it's really that simple.
1: Yep. But no, these two in particular, Matt Khalil and Mike Remmers way overpaid but you know what they should be happy they've scored themselves a, a handy little payday
0: oh for sure and i mean you, you mentioned the wide receiver market it, it was quite an interesting one um did, did you see robert woods's deal he got something like um seven million per year on average over five years with with the rams it's just crazy
1: and we were talking about him not long ago about how he's uh, one of the usc wide receivers that hasn't reached 2700 career yards
0: Exactly. We were talking about him being a potential sleeper and he turns out gets this fat deal early on in free agency. It's just... It's
1: it's free agency in a nutshell. Yeah, exactly right. All right, let's move on. Let's have a look at running backs. So, you know, running backs, and we're going to lump coverage linebackers into this category as well. For the most part, Nads, they've been kind of undervalued and it's been a very slow-moving market. We haven't really seen a lot of action on this front uh, of course, it came out today that Eddie L- Eddie Lacey has signed with the Seattle Seahawks to be their Marshawn Lynch, I'm going to say 0.05, sorry, 0.5. I don't think he's two point zero. Uh, but uh, he's their Marshawn Lynch clone, the guy to replace him. But he's only on a one-year deal. He's got $5.5 million, uh, of which three is guaranteed. But, you know, it's been a really slow-moving market, Nads. Yeah, did you see um, how much... Uh- lacy rocked
0: up to seattle in terms of his weight it's like 260 or something wasn't he i think it was 267
1: yeah it's insane
0: yeah they've got a nice weight clause in there saying that you need to get get your weight down but having said
1: that pete carroll came out and said yeah i want him really big and i was like you really got to be careful how you use the word big around (laughs) eddie lacy because he's not going to take that to mean muscle
0: no, exactly. Those Southerners, they can really eat. So well, can they ever. Yeah, so especially a guy, a guy who who's down there, he's had weight issues in the past, and we know yep. that that affects his play quite a bit. Um, it's a very risky deal to come in and expect that Lacey's going to be uh, your stud running back. I do like who Seattle have got behind them, though. They've got, like, CJ Process, they've got Thomas Rolls. So, yep. like, the cupboard's not all bare, Um it's interesting that Jamal Charles... Um, he's going to be meeting Seattle... I think in the next day or so, thereabouts. So I'm not quite sure how he would fit into the puzzle. Um, I, I've said like last episode I thought Charles was done. So I find it a little bit
1: odd. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it's probably a reason that Pete Carroll is Pete Carroll... And we're here doing a podcast about Pete Carroll's roster moves. But, <laughs> um, you know, it might be a case of... well. For all intents and purposes, let's sign Charles and then expect that he's going to be done and we're not going to get anything out of it. You're not going to pay him a huge amount of money, but let's sign him and then, you know, if we get anything out of him, then that's a win.
0: Yeah, exactly. If you give him half a million guaranteed, in not not like the full deal, I'm talking just guaranteed yeah, yeah. money for one year, and then you say, oh, okay, if you make the make the roster um, come week one, uh, we'll, yeah. guarantee, we'll guarantee your salary of maybe three million. Well... Probably not a bad flyer for a guy that you could probably throw on special teams a little bit. Because yep. we know, we know Carroll loves to throw his, his stars like L Thomas and that on special teams. So it, it's probably not a bad move, but it's certainly not one that um, is like in the box, so to no, speak.
1: No, definitely not. And on that, so Jamar Charles still available. So is Latavius Murray. So is Adrian Peterson. There's still some big names out there, mate. Yeah, the
0: running back, the running back class of free agency um, is still—it's pretty much wide open. Um, I've heard through a few people that Latavius Murray—he's going to be going to Minnesota. So yep. um, he's currently meeting with them, um, and he was expected to stay overnight in Minnesota. So it won't be surprising that when you and I wake up tomorrow morning, that deal's done. Okay. Um, Peterson's market though is pretty pretty small, I mean, not many people mm. have really expressed interest in the guy and, and we, we really illustrated it quite well a couple of weeks ago. Yep. Um, the guy's played really one full season out of the last three. He's on the wrong side of 30. He can't play out of the gun. Um, no. I, <laughs> you, yeah, you, he's, he's going to struggle.
1: Somebody, somebody will sign him to a deal, but you know, it's he's not going to be the big name that he used to be in the past.
0: Exactly, and I'm not sure how star like not every star you find they can handle being just a role player and you can find that they cause a little bit of trouble in the locker room so wherever he signs um it's going to have to be a good fit for both team and player to make it work
1: yeah i think you're spot on there and i just want to throw in and i'll get to this in a little bit more detail when we get to the draft coverage but um i'm a big proponent of the philosophy that you don't need to overpay for a running back. You can you know, draft a guy in the fifth round and he can come in and do a good job for you. There's, they're a dime a dozen. So you know, you look at a guys, guys like Peterson and Charles that have all these risks associated with them. Yes, they may have a body of work, but that also means their body has taken a beating. Um, they're on the wrong side of 30. They've had injury problems. Uh, if I'm a GM, I'm, I'm not going anywhere near them.
0: Yeah, you make a really good point regarding the draft and... I think if you look at it, we've we've seen in like quite a lot of the mock drafts, we're seeing a lot of running backs go in that first round, and I think it's going to be interesting come draft day to see how close those mock drafts are to replicating like the amount of running backs taken. Because we talk about how this running back talent is elite, but it will not surprise me one bit if we only see like a a vastly diminished number of running backs go in that first round. Simply because, like you said, they're a dime a
1: dozen. Yep. And I'm just gonna I'm gonna wrap this little discussion up so I don't get into too much of it. But I wanna throw one thing at you, Nads. So I've done my rankings for my running backs and we'll get into that in detail later. But I've got I've got five guys who I think as running backs are first round talents. Okay. So that that should tell you something. There's five guys at a position that is quite disposable, and I'm telling you, you know, two minutes ago that you can draft a guy in the fifth round, he's gonna be a good talent. It's not because he's a fifth round guy, it's because they're a dime a dozen, and by their very nature, somebody's gonna have to fall. And so you're gonna have first round talents going in the second round, third round, and then second round talents going in the fourth round, fifth round, and so on. So you really don't need to reach, and you really don't need to overpay. You've summed it up well. Let's move
0: on to the, the linebackers. So yep. we've, got, we've, we've got Dante Hightower out there, and, and he's trying to fleece a team into offering more money to drive up his price
1: in New England, because we all know that he doesn't want to leave Bill Belichick in Boston. No, no. It's, it's, it's ridiculous, mate. I mean, he's trying to play mind games with the greatest mind gamer of, the NFL, his, like, of NFL history. He's trying to outmaneuver Bill Belichick, who's like, renowned for outmaneuvering everyone. I don't understand what he's playing at, really. I mean, everyone knows what he's doing. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Yeah, look, it, it's crazy. I mean, you saw what
0: Pittsburgh said regarding regarding Hightower. How if they if, um, if he leaves the
1: facility? Yeah. See you later. Off is gone. Yeah. But yeah, no, he's still available. There's also a few other names out there which kind of surprised me. Um, Zach Brown from Buffalo, and then. Kevin Minter from Arizona and also Gerald Hodges, they're all still out there. And, you know, I've been interested in this because, you know, as an Indianapolis fan, we're in desperate need of linebackers and we've signed a bunch of edge guys, but we still haven't signed an inside guy. So, yeah, all of these names are still available, but I think the problem with them is that there's no one that really, you know, does it all. No,
0: um, it's... Well, I think also in the draft, um, we're seeing quite, quite a few guys who... Like they play safety and then we see them get um, come down and they, they play linebacker and we're seeing uh, with all the sub packages these days that this classic middle linebacker type that's on the on the field for three downs we're, we're sort of almost going away from that trend if you'd like we're not, we're not seeing the prototypical Ray Lewis guy.
1: No nah, because you know the NFL's becoming more and more a passing league so now you need your your middle linebacker. he needs to be elite in coverage. Yeah. And so he... no, there's, there's not many guys who can do all of the other facets of being a, a, a Mike backer and then be elite in coverage. You get guys who are very good in coverage but don't really give you much else. You get guys who are great stopping the run but can't play in coverage, and that's a liability on your field with the versatility of uh, NFL offenses nowadays.
0: Yeah, especially when sub-packages make up between 70 and 80% of, of snaps... Yep. You know, you, you you can't have a guy that's slow on the field or a liability in coverage because they're going to get eaten up.
1: No, nah, exactly right.
0: Let's move on to the defensive linemen because there's quite a few still available on that front. So we talked about Dontari Poe um, last episode and we thought that like, the film didn't really, really translate based on his past year of film. But the... I mean, you think about it. He's got a lot of interest, but it, it certainly appears that he's going to be ending up to take a one-year deal. Um, yep. At least that's what Ian Rappaport has been tweeting.
1: Yep. It certainly looks that way, and I think uh, look, I think it'd be a mistake for any organization to give him more than a one-year deal, um, and I think he should be aware of it too. I mean, if he gets a one-year deal and proves to somebody that you know my back's still okay, I can still produce at the level. I was producing at with the Chiefs in the, in the early years. Um, then he's going to get paid anyway. But like last year, he got out produced by a rookie.
0: Yeah, um, he's not the only one. I'm surprised is still on um, on the deck, so to speak. I think a guy like Jonathan Hankins. Um, I'm shocked that someone hasn't taken him. I mean, yeah, the, I mean the guy's from I... 20, 24 years old. He's been a four. Four year um pro he had his first three seasons in the league he was a stud and yep. um I, so many people expected him to get a deal similar to snacks harrison so harrison got like a, about 10 million about 11 i think it might have been last year and for for hankins look his 2016 wasn't amazing but he's not just gonna fall off a cliff
1: no nah. And I think the, the thing that's really intrigued me with Hankins is that I haven't even heard reports of anybody showing interest in him. It's not that he hasn't signed a deal. It's just that it's like nobody's even seemed to remotely care.
0: Yeah, it's one of those where they've probably called and he's been like, okay, this is my price. And they've been like, nah, mate, not, not happening.
1: Yeah, like, I think you might be right.
0: Yeah, give us a call when you, you see a bit, bit more reason. And then maybe we can sort you out. Maybe we, you can come and visit our facility and we'll go from there. But, yeah, it, it's, it's something's amiss there.
1: We did see Benny Logan got signed by the Chiefs, though. So one nose tackles off the board. Um,
0: we, we did, yeah. So he's going to be Poe's replacement.
1: Yeah, pretty much. And I think he'll actually be a pretty good fit there. And I think the Eagles are going to miss him.
0: Certainly. Um, Logan's a... He's, he's, he's a pretty good player. I mean... Um, didn't have a great 2016, which is why, again, no. he's only on that one-year deal, but I'd back him to get the most out of himself in Kansas City because they seem to, um, year after year, they put together a pretty good D to make up for Alex Smith's shortcomings.
1: Yep, they certainly do. All right, well, that's uh that, that wraps up all of our, our recap so far in terms of pure free agency signings. We're going to get to our top three and bottom three in a second, but... Let's uh, switch paths a little bit Nads. Let's look at some of the trades that have happened so far in the free agency period.
0: Alrighty, so let's start off with the two trades made by the Super Bowl winning Patriots. Bill Belichick, he traded for Coney Ealy and then
1: he also traded for
0: Brandon Cooks. What are your thoughts there?
1: Uh, Well, I want to start with Brandon Cooks. And the reason I want to start with Brandon Cooks is that, on paper, this seems like a perfect fit for the Patriots. I mean, they've now given, you know, Belichick is very aware that he's in like a win-now window, right? He's got Tom Brady, the greatest of all time. He's only got, you know, I mean, Brady's going to want to play for another five, ten years probably. But realistically, he's probably got, you know, two, three years of, top-end production and then he's going to sort of start to fall off as we've seen with you know Brett Favre, Peyton Manning, those sort of guys. So this seems like a perfect fit for a team that really needs to to try and capitalize on the talent that they've got and it seems like a a, an even better fit because if you look at that Patriots offense they never really had that like that Brandon Cooks type of guy. You know they've got Gronk best tight end in the league. They've got Julian Edelman who's, you know, a huge weapon, but he's kind of... He, he's their de facto number one, but he's not really a number one receiver. He's just their number one because he's their best receiver. But realistically, he plays at his best when he's more of a, a, a slot guy or a gadget guy um, as opposed to an out-and-out out number one. So you bring in a guy like Brandon Cooks and you feel a huge need for the Patriots, that offense just gets even scarier. If you're a defensive coordinator, what do you do now? Like... Are you going to double Gronk and then double Cooks and then leave you know leave Edelman wide open? Like how do you deal with all of these these pieces? And the worst part is that you got Brady throwing the ball. So you know that he's going to find the open guy, and Brady has a history of taking what the defense gives you. He's not going to, you know, force things into stupid coverage because he wants to get the ball to Brandon Cooks. He'll throw it to Malcolm Mitchell if he wants to.
0: Yeah, I I actually think Malcolm Mitchell is the one who gets hurt the most out of this because we're going to see guys, you're going to see Chris Hogan, Edelman, James White, Gronk. They're all going to want their touches. And I think it won't surprise me one bit if Malcolm Mitchell is the one who's left out. And I I really like Mitchell. I reckon he's a pretty good receiver. So do I. As for Cooks, though, do you really think he's a true number one?
1: Uh, no, but I think he's the de facto number one now. Again, I think he's taken Edelman's place as the de facto number one guy.
0: Yeah, it certainly seems like they're going to be playing Gronk, who's just an absolute beast, and then they're going to be having a few mini me's running around just causing
1: causing mayhem. Yeah, I mean they've got Dwayne Allen in there now as so well. Let's not forget that. I mean, he probably hasn't lived up to the hype that you know the Colts thought he had when they drafted him, but uh, he's still a good a good player when he's on the field. Yeah, true. He, he's going to be pretty much the Bennett. Um, oh, exactly right. But it's, just a, it's another it's another target for Brady to throw the ball to.
0: Yeah, look, I think it's it's certainly one that we're going to have to see how it develops. Um, I'm not convinced that it's going to be like a slam dunk like everyone else thinks. Um, seems to think it's gonna be. I mean, they look at Cooks and they think, okay, he's small, he's got speed, he's pretty much everything that Welker and Edelman have been for the last ten years for Brady. So therefore, it's gonna be a success. I'm not sure we can we can write that write that down yet. Given that he did play in New Orleans, which was a dome stadium, and he had Drew Brees, so he he was already in a really really good situation. Um, yep. Now let, let's just switch the subject a little bit let's talk a little bit fan of of uh, fantasy stuff so in terms of this trade where do you see brandon cooks in terms of your
1: value for for receivers so when you're looking at receivers you've got two in in a fantasy sense you've got two types of guys you've got you know your your p p r studs that so pass uh, point per reception studs guys that catch the ball a lot and then you've got your explosive kind of like downfield, you know, maybe gets one or two catches a game, but it's going to be, you know, one week you'll have 10 yards and then the next week you'll have 150 yards and two touchdowns. So you've got your two kind of groups of guys. Now, Cooks in New Orleans kind of fell into the, the first category, caught a lot of passes. You know, Drew Brees is throwing the ball. He's throwing it to him and he's throwing it to Michael Thomas and that's about it, really. So, you know, he's, he's catching a lot of, a lot of balls. He's getting a lot of volume. I'm not sure he's going to get anywhere near the same volume in New England. I think this is much more of a football trade and has positive football effects to the Patriots and it really hurts um, Cooks' fantasy value.
0: Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head there in terms of um, where like his value is going to sit. Um, I-, I will say, though, with Cooks... Certainly, I mean, I'm not sure about this past season, but he certainly in 2015, he had a lot of games where he was invisible because he was on my fantasy team and I ended up trading him. <laughs> like, I was like, okay, I'm done with you. I'm trading you. You're gone. So I'm pretty sure I ended up trading him for like Amari Cooper or something and that, that worked out all right for me. But um, yeah, I'm not, con- not convinced that Cook's going to be a guy that you can rely on um, like being like a 100-yard a, a week um, stud that's no, going to catch eight balls. Not. No, you, you you can't do that, um, especially given his size. He's such a midget. Yep. That he's not even six foot. Yeah, he's, I think he's five nine or something. Something ridiculous. Yeah. What whatever he's listed at, it's going to be smaller. Um, yep. Yeah. So.
1: Well, he's not. He's not listed at six foot. So yeah, he's going to be like five nine.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah. He's, he's lucky. He's got speed. Put it that way.
1: Yeah, exactly right. All right, let's have a look at the other trade that the Patriots have made. Coney Ealy.
0: Uh, look, Ealy's a pretty average player. Defensive lineman previously for Carolina. I really liked him coming out of Missouri. I thought, yeah, he, he was a guy that I like, had ticked off um in the draft a few years ago. I thought, geez, this guy could be a baller. And... I guess it's come down to he, he doesn't really do anything well So he doesn't really rush the passer too well He doesn't stop the run He doesn't really fit many schemes Because he's he lacks like the true prototypical size Of a 4-3 or a 3-4 defensive end Or an edge rusher, that kind of thing So he really is in no man's land And that's translated onto the field That being said he played one good game, and that's when he played in the Super Bowl. He got three sacks for Carolina against Denver, and that was only a year ago. So I, I, it's a bit like um, we talked about quarterbacks. They play one good game, and then they get traded for a mint, or they, they enter free agency for a mint. And Bill Belichick has been the been the smart one in this because he's got Ely for essentially nothing, a packet of chips,
1: some steak knives,
0: <laughs> you know, so... Um, He's a little bit ahead of the curve yeah.
1: yeah, look I I think it's a bit of a weird one as well But I can see the merit in it So, you know, Ely's is a younger guy uh, I've got a little stat for you here, Nance uh, Out of all of the defensive ends, defensive linemen and defensive tackles That were selected in the 2014 draft So that's uh, Ely's draft year he is second on career sacks behind only Aaron Donald. Hang on, hang on. Can you really only behind Aaron Donald? What's the positions on that? So defensive ends, defensive linemen, and defensive tackles drafted only in twenty fourteen. So his draft year. So not guys after or before. Just twenty fourteen. He's equal. Sorry, he's tied second with fourteen career sacks with Aaron Lynch from San Francisco. Uh, and they're tied second behind Aaron Donald, who's way out in front on 28.
0: Yeah, see, that stat's deceptive, though, because they're not including edge rushers who can play as defensive ends like Khalil Mack, because Mack was drafted that year.
1: No, I know. They're looking at pure ends linemen. Like, D-linemen. Pure D-linemen.
0: Yeah. Um, it You could probably say, OK, well, he's got 14 sacks, um, therefore he's going he's gonna to be a nice rotational guy in New England. I mean, if you look at New England's pass rush... They, they don't really have an, any elite guys. No, they don't. So it, look, it's it's only a one year deal, and it's cost them that, cost them nothing. So I don't think it's a, a bad deal for New England.
1: No, nah, not by any stretch. But let's let's move on now. I want to look at a trade that I was uh, surprised at first by and then thoroughly impressed with. Is how I'm going to describe it. So. I, I kind of see this as a win-win for both teams. So, the Houston Texans have finally, finally managed to get out of this horrible Brock Osweiler situation by trading Osweiler and a second rounder to the Cleveland Browns for, I think it was uh, like a sixth rounder. Yeah, something on those lines. I'm pretty sure it was a sixth Yeah, it's, it's basically for nothing. So, the, the effect of the trade was... That the Texans give away Osweiler Don't have to deal with his contract Or his terrible play anymore To the Cleveland Browns Who have oodles and oodles of cap space And the Browns will just eat up Osweiler's contract They'll try and trade him on Or they'll cut him if they don't need him and in, But like by the same token They get another second round draft pick I, I just think it's brilliant i love the deal <laughs> you
0: know it's funny we, we talk about cleveland being a, a basket case but they've really like hit the nail on the head with this one <laughs> um i really like the deal in terms of they get a guy who okay let, let's not look at osweiler because they've got so much cap space they can fit the deal they're already looking to trade osweiler again for um for more than what what they receive uh, had to trade out to get him because now his contract looks more appealing because there's going to be no more dead money accrued with it so yeah. he could be a nice backup somewhere um so th- they've got that on sell ability there so that that's a win for cleveland then you get the second round pick to add to like already the slew of picks that they've got so that that's another good thing that they've done and it it just makes sense i mean we talk about um, the idea of, like, when um, Paul D. Podesta, so he came in um, to Cleveland um, last year when they brought in the new regime, and the idea was that D. Podesta, he's a, he's a baseball guy. So he was, if any of you have watched the movie Moneyball or read the book Moneyball, so that was when the Oakland A's back in Major League Baseball in the early, early 2000s, that late 90s, that period... They, they brought in a guy called Paul D. Podesta, and he was an assistant to the general manager at the time. And he produced, he used what was called sabermetrics. And there it was an analytics style of um, almost like figuring out how you're going to get the best amount of play for the, the least amount of money. And that became known as affectionately as the Moneyball era. So what they're trying to do in Cleveland with the Browns is they're trying to replicate that scenario in terms of like the analytics. And it, I guess it makes a lot of sense. We, we see baseball has so much analytics and we're seeing in the last probably five or six years, how much basketball has um, incorporated those analytics in the NBA. I mean, uh, we've gone away from the, like those big, big boys. We saw Shaq, um, that kind of, Get the ball into the big man and and go for the the bucket in the paint. Now we're seeing an era where the three point shots, the great, the, yeah, the nice shot, where you got Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, and Klay Thompson all on the Warriors. They're shooting the lights out, and that's become the the prototypical NBA offense because the that's what the analytics point to. And now we're seeing in football an analytical type trade. And I think this is going to be the first the first of many that we're going to see in the future because once it breaks ground, other teams catch on to it and we, we, we know the NFL is a copycat league.
1: Oh, Exactly right. And um, I just want to throw in there just a little caveat to this. And first of all, if you haven't seen the movie Moneyball, I highly recommend it. It's a very good movie, particularly if you're into sport. Um but a little spoiler alert for Moneyball. So if you haven't seen it, block your ears. But you know, with with all of this sort of stuff, people forget that the A's never won the World Series. No, they didn't.
0: But that being said, Boston, who in who what they did is they incorporated the analytical model, and then they just put a little bit more money behind it. They won a few World Series in the years later. So I know. I'm just playing devil's I know, advocate. And I know. I. Th- <laughs> I'm just going to throw something a little bit cold out there. Did you actually see Cleveland, um, uh, that they issued a press release after like, they got the trade and there was a quote from one of the executives there and they were saying how excited they were to get this second round pick in the trade and then <laughs> they mentioned at the draft before they mentioned Oswald. They're like, oh yeah, we're also excited for for Osweiler to come in and compete. He's a veteran. And they left it at that, but they like raved on for a couple of sentences about how good this draft pick was that they got for nothing. It's just
1: cold. It is, but I mean, everybody knew that's what they were doing it for. Uh, of they're, course. They're the Browns, but they're, they're not that ridiculous that they actually wanted Osweiler. Yeah, but it, it's
0: um, you're not making him sound like he's like welcome or anything. It's just, it's awkward no. from
1: the start. Yeah. Interesting little tidbit for you here, Nads. I don't know if you've seen this, but after trading for that pick, the Browns now have 11 draft picks in each of the next two years. That is, 11. That's crazy. And here's it even better for you. This year in particular, they have 11 draft picks and none in the seventh round. Jeez, that that's that's nuts. I mean,
0: I think at one point or another, you you can certainly have like a team that's too young. So... I personally, I'd be looking at trying to trade for a few guys. I, I mean, I wouldn't hesitate to trade like a high second round pick or something for a good player if the if the right opportunity comes along and they're going to fit your scheme. I'd do it because you you have too many rookies and you just get you get bogged down because you know like you you're not going to have a you're not going to hit on all of these guys. So to it definitely not. So it's great that you can accumulate so many picks, but you also need to have the the right veteran balance.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's a little bit of a, they're in complete rebuild mode. So let's throw as much at the wall as we can and hope that some of it sticks. So, you know, you draft 11 guys, you're hoping that one or two of them are going to be pretty damn good, right? You've got enough, I guess, tickets in the lottery that, you know, you're going to hit on one. But as we know, it's not a proven commodity that that will happen. But that being said, I can see where they're going. I think they're doing the right thing in the sense that that organisation really needed to start again. They needed to, you know, get rid of everything, strip it down to bare bones, and start from scratch. I think the best way to do that is through the draft, so I can see the benefit of having that many picks. Yeah,
0: I think the interesting thing, especially like given that they've got so many picks right now, is you could actually argue that their window to try to compete is in the next four to five years, because... Um, You've got the yep. you've got the the good. rookie deals. They're going to be really cheap, yep. so you're going to be able to um, keep these guys on short term deals, or not short term deals, long term deals for short amounts of money. Um, but you really need to be trading for a few a few good players that are going to going to um, balance out your list. Because if you trade out for some really good players, I mean, you trade a few second round picks, you can get some like studs in the league. Draft picks are like overvalued to the hill they they're more valued than what um free agents are. So I uh, I just I see that Cleveland could like do a really quick rebuild if they do it do it right, but at the same time it certainly seems like they're going the farm route, which again, that's what you see in baseball. You see guys sit for for a couple years in the minor leagues and they they play their trade there and then they get called up to the majors years after being drafted. mm mm-hmm.
1: Mhm. Well, we'll just have to wait and see, and the draft will be a good starting point for that. All right, now, so to round off our coverage of the free agency period to this point, we're going to finish up with our top three and our bottom three deals so far. So let's start with the top three, but let's start at number three. So who's your third best deal so far in free agency? So my third best is Chris Baker. So Chris Baker signed a three-year deal
0: it's worth $15.75 million, and it included a $6 million signing bonus and overall of that $15.75 million, $9 million is fully guaranteed. He signed this deal with Tampa Bay. For those who don't know who Chris Baker is, he's a 34 defensive lineman, pretty much a nose guard and he can also play as a 34 defensive end. And I think the best thing about this deal, it works out well for both player and club, so he can be released after one season with no dead money against the cap. So that's really good. And for the money, the monetary side of things, it's it's pretty spot on. It's not like they haven't clearly gone and paid him a ridiculous deal. Like Brandon Williams as a nose tackle, he got something like 11 million a year over five years to stay in Baltimore. So I must say I'm not saying Baker's near that talent. On, a, on the defensive line, but he's still, he's an okay guy. He can play pretty well, and I mentioned him last, last week even. I had him as a sleeper. So overall, in terms of where I see him fitting in Tampa Bay, I see him having a really good year with Gerald McCoy. So Baker is a guy who has been shown that he can stuff the run, but his best asset is as a pass rusher. So he's had, I think, about nine sacks in the past two years. And when you're trying to collapse the pocket, especially that, that middle interior part of the pocket, it really helps when you've got a guy like Baker because it's going to free up McCoy. And we know how devastating a player McCoy can be. The guy's a stud.
1: Yeah, exactly right. I think you've actually summarized that really, really well. Um, I agree with you. I think it's a really good fit for both teams. The money's right. The way that it's, the contract is done is good for the team. Uh, look, I can't really see a downside, to be honest. So I think you're spot on there. Yeah, it's certainly hard to find one, that's it for is, sure. It is, isn't it? All right, let's move on. Let's look at your number two guy. Who's who's number two? Okay,
0: so I had to toss up between this guy and the guy that I picked for number one. So my number two guy is Alshon Jeffrey. So he signed a one-year deal, $9.5 million. It included a $7.75 million signing bonus, and eight point seven five million is fully guaranteed. He signed that with Philadelphia. So he he's gonna be he's gonna be catching balls from Carson Wentz this year. So really in theory it's it's a really good signing to help to help Philadelphia because they give give uh, Philadelphia a number one receiver
1: and that's really going to help Wentz because Wentz had absolutely nothing last year. No, he didn't. You look at all the mock drafts that have been coming out so far this offseason. I think just about everyone has Philadelphia taking a wide receiver.
0: Exactly. So it's quite interesting because Jeffrey turned down a multi-year deal in Minnesota. So He's opted to go for the one-year prove-it deal. I don't have the parameters on the Minnesota contract, so I I can't speculate um, how much he was offered. But you'd have to think that it's probably, it would have been around the $8 million mark um, per year. And I reckon personally that he saw Antonio Brown's contract and thought, geez, I'm worth worth my weight. And um, yep. as a result, he signed the one-year deal and saying, okay, I'm going to prove it to you lot, and then I'm going to get paid, because we see that happen quite a bit. I mean, Michael Crabtree, a few years ago, he signed a one-year, $3 million deal in Oakland um, after he tested the waters and found out that no one really wanted him, and then um, about I think it was twelve weeks or thereabouts into the season, he signed an extension with Oakland for four years, and that was worth close to um, thirty-six million. So you can see that guys can really cash in um, if they have a good good one year, but they they need to have that good one year because if they have a bad year, they're more or less um, their pay is going to get cut in half. Yeah,
1: and I I actually really like seeing guys take you know one year prove it deals over long term stuff because to me that tells me I mean I already knew this with Sean Jeffrey but it tells me they have a lot of confidence in their ability but you've also got a guy now who's you know he's he's going out there and he's playing with a purpose for you now his purpose might be motivated mainly by money but that's not the point when he's on the field you know he's giving you a hundred percent every snap every down when he's on that field he's he's giving you it all and as a coach that's what you want from your players exactly um
0: if if we if we try to categorise where Jeffrey sits, um, do you reckon he's their
1: best receiver since To? Whoa, oh, tough question. I mean, Deshaun Jackson in his prime was pretty damn good.
0: Different type of player. I know, though.
1: but you just said receiver. Um,
0: I don't think um, Jackson's as dynamic as what Jeffrey can be because Jeffrey he's got speed, he's got size, whereas. Jackson was just he was a pure speed guy and for whatever reason he had some really good years and then yeah for whatever reason he had a few character concerns
1: and got shipped off to Washington I think he'd definitely be in the conversation um yeah I can't really think of anybody else off the top of my head that's really going to challenge I mean he's a step up on all the receivers that they've got in Philadelphia at the moment that's for sure
0: yeah, true. I mean, I, I talk about um how they've got like Jeffrey's the best receiver since T O, but at the same time, he's just as big a headache. <laughs> so you know, it's worth the risk because it's only a one year deal. Yeah. Um, so I guess if if things like turn turn a little bit sour, they can be like, oh, okay, it's only one year. We've we've sort of accelerated Wentz's development to a degree because you know that. Um, Jeffrey's going to be putting his effort in in the off season to work with Wentz, so that's going to help accelerate the development. So if things turn bad during the year, okay, so be it. We've we've developed our quarterback a bit more, and um, we'll ship yep. you off and cut our
1: losses. We'll get,
0: yeah, we'll we'll get a new, another receiver at, uh, twelve months later. Yep.
1: All right, exactly spot on. Love it. Perfect recap. Let's move on now. The big guy, the number one. Who's your top free agency signing so far? Okay, so my top free
0: agency signing so far, and it's not because of the um, the deal they signed from the player's perspective, because I think the player got, got ripped off. Um, it's Terrell Pryor. He signed a one-year deal in Washington and it's worth $6 million, and he's got another $2 million um, that could be added on in incentives. That being said, the incentives in the contract aren't likely to be achieved. Um, so he's going to be the, the number one guy because Pierre Garcon has yep. left. So sure, Jamison Crowder and Jordan Reed, they're going to want their touches. But for all intents and purposes, let's assume that Pryor's is going to be the number one guy. Um, he had six quarterbacks in Cleveland last year. And it was his first year as a, a wideout. And he goes and gets a, over 1,000 yards. And he genuinely looked every part of a number
1: one receiver. He definitely did. I I, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I still enjoyed the days when he was playing quarterback for the Raiders because I know how much you loved him because you're always a homer with your Raiders. But he never really looked like an NFL quarterback. But he he still holds, I believe he still holds the record for the longest touchdown run of a quarterback in NFL history. So, I mean, you knew from the early days that he has the speed. He's got that explosiveness, that agility. So the transition from a physical standpoint to wide receiver really made a lot of sense. Um, it's just adjusting to, you know, route running and, and catching the ball and stuff like that, which, as you say, he looks like a number one guy. Yeah, we see so many um, guys
0: who play quarterback or they play running back. Or they, they play different positions and they get suggested to, to go and be a receiver because their, their size and their speed really fit. And we see so many guys, they try it and they fail, and I mean, for years, we were talking about prior switching to receiver, and all those years, he kept saying, no, I'm a quarterback. Like The Raiders at one point, they wanted him to either play tight end or wide receiver. They were like, look, we really think that you're not going to fit our system as a quarterback, so let's let's move you on and try you as a um, a receiver, and he's like, nah, nah, not happening, not happening, and then, See, so he goes around the league, and pretty much what the Raiders told him, the rest of the league told him. They said, "Look, you're not a quarterback." So I think the the message sort of got through to him, and he ended up in Cleveland of all places. That's a good fit though, because Hugh Jackson was the guy who drafted who drafted Prior initially back in 2011 in Oakland. So there's a there's a bit of a synergy going on there. Um, so it, it certainly worked out well for his year in Cleveland. And then, for whatever reason, I don't know what happened, but he turned down a multi-year deal in Cleveland. It, I think it was about four years worth about 30, $32 million. I don't have the guaranteed money. It's just it's off the top of my head. Um, whoever told him to, to not take that deal, if it wasn't prior, um, I'd be looking for a new agent. Um, if Drew Rosenhaus, who's um, Pryor's agent, told him, I can get you a better deal elsewhere, and then he settles for a one-year $6 million deal in Washington, who's arguably at this point a bigger basket case than Cleveland... I don't
1: think that's arguable. I think that's 100% correct.
0: Yeah, oh, apart from the quarterback situation, because Cleveland yeah, but don't have a Cousins wants
1: to leave.
0: True, but Cousins isn't going to hold out. No. The still. no, he won't. You're right. He, he'll play, so on that perspective maybe not but i i just don't get it. it it's such a good deal for the team but it's a terrible deal for Pryor, and that's why i love it so much <laughs> because in free agency we see so many guys just absolutely ripping the pants off off teams and like leaving them bare bare naked out there so it's great to see a team get like an elite team I'm not sure. Okay, maybe I'm not going to call Pryor an elite talent, but he's certainly a very, very good player that a lot of teams would be happy to have him as their number one receiver, um, and they've got him for a pittance. Yeah,
1: uh, I totally agree. I think you're spot on, <clears throat> and it, as you say, it's interesting to see a, a deal that you know favors the team more way more than it does the player. All right, let's uh, let's keep this moving. That's our top three. Let's go with your bottom three. So we'll go in reverse order again. Let's go with your third worst uh, free agency deal so far. All right. So my third worst deal
0: is he's an offensive lineman. So we talked about offensive lineman getting overpaid this free agency, and Menelik Watson. <laughs> so he, he he's a former Raider, and I'm not I'm not singling him out because he's a former Raider. Um, I know a lot about him, though, because of that. And he signed a three-year deal. It's worth $18.37 million. Um, $11 million is fully guaranteed on that. And he signed it with Denver. So he's gone to
1: a division rival. There's no bitterness and... here at all, Nads, is there?
0: No, no, I'm not bitter. <laughs> I don't I don't think he's that good. I mean, we talked about it in our last section of the hashtag AskNads. We got asked the question by DodgerNation. And... Um, I said back then that I thought Watson was going to get a one-year deal on a, something close to the VET minimum to prove it. And instead, Denver have thrown him a deal of over $6 million per year. I just want to put this out there. This is a guy that has been healthy for just 27 out of a possible 65 games in the past four years.
1: That's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Right.
0: He's not even playing half the games... And then even then, he's not even starting half of those. And then the guy gets starting, starting tackle money, and you're going to expect him to suddenly hold up? You know, every, every offseason, there used to be a... The Raiders beat that, whoever it would be, it could be Vic Taffer, um, it could be a few of the Bleacher Report guys, they'd always write, once a year when training camp started, Watson would have an interview with him. And he'd be like, oh, man, I'm healthy. I'm, I'm healthy. I've changed a few things up. Um, <laughs> things are going to be really different this year. I feel great with my body. It's all going to work. And then come week three of preseason, he does an injury, and he's out for the next 10 weeks, and then he goes on IR. So I'm, I'm not expecting anything different. I think it's an absolute joke of a signing, and I don't know why they did it. Yeah. I mean, you look at the film. His film's not even that good. Um, he's a backup that's getting paid starter money.
1: I mean, you really let loose there. So if that's your number three, I'm, I'm interested now. I'm going to tread very carefully. Who's, who's your number two?
0: Uh, I, I can't decide, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring two guys here. So they're both 49ers. So we're going across the bay from Oakland to, to San Francisco. And I've got Malcolm Smith and I've got Kyle Uchak. So I can't decide which one's worse because I think both deals are terrible. So we've got Malcolm Smith. He signed a five-year deal. And it's worth $26.5 million with a $7 million signing bonus. And then of that $26.5 million, is fully guaranteed. It's a mouthful. Slow it down. Rewind it if you have to. Um, but look, this is a guy who was flat out terrible the past two years in Oakland. He started the last two seasons. He was absolutely terrible. The Raiders could not wait to get rid of this guy. You know they did, They actually even before free agency started, they told him, "Look, we're not even interested in re-signing you as a backup. See, if you thought that you were gonna get like a minimum deal with us, um, look elsewhere because we don't want you." So and, and the Raiders have like a massive shortfall at linebacker, and they still said, "No, nah, we're not interested in you, mate. Like, see you later." <laughs> and and I, I said it even in my arsenads nads again last week. I thought that he was gonna be out of the league. I thought he was gonna be a guy that maybe. Um, he'd catch on come training camp when there are a few injuries and they need a body for a few weeks, and he'd get a one year vet minimum deal. And instead, we, we see Malcolm Smith signing a five year deal uh, over five million a year um, on the first day of free agency. He's let me put it into context he's getting more money per year than what Jarrell Freeman got last year when he signed with um, Chicago. And Jarell Freeman at the time was one of the top inside <laughs> linebackers. Yep, wasn't he? Um, In that free agent class, it was him, and it was Danny Trevathan. Trevathan got about six million per year, and Freeman got about four. And now we've got Malcolm Smith cut, cutting the two; he's getting a little over five. It's just—it's flat out nuts.
1: It is. Like, it's just.
0: We we talk about John Lynch and how he's got six years to. To get the 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 ship in San Francisco together, well, he's not going to be around for six years (laughs) if he's handing out like shoddy deals, like Malcolm Smith. And that's before we talk about Kyle Uchak. This is a fullback, and he's getting another nice deal. I think he's getting close to um four or five million a year. I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but between Malcolm Smith and Kyle Uchak, you're paying about ten million dollars a year. See, ten million dollars for a cover linebacker who's like terrible who I think he should be playing special teams if you're going to have him on the field. And then you've got Kyle Uchak, who's a fullback. Now, how many fullbacks do you see in the league that are actually like really productive? You don't see many. There's maybe a dozen in the league because they're so antiquated.
1: Yeah, you, you know, <laughs> the fullbacks are the type of guy when you're playing Madden, you just go to the free agency market, find the guy with the highest overall rating, pay him the lowest amount of money you can get and stick him in front of your running back and say, block that guy.
0: Exactly. Or if you want to get fancy, you just um, you move your, your speediest running back to fullback, or you put a tight end there and then you just send him on a wheel route all the time. <laughs> you know? Look, I've got a question for you. Yep. Would you rather pay Malcolm Smith and Kyle Uchak? So they're getting a bit, let's, for all intents and purposes, they're getting $10 million a year. Or this is option B. Would you rather have. The opportunity to go big after a linebacker, I don't know, let's say Dante Hightower, you're paying maybe 12 or $13 million a year, so you're paying a little bit more. Similar price, though, and then you find a fullback at that VET minimum, and you say, oh, okay, you compete for a year. Or you can even go the the draft there. You can go on a, a sixth or a seventh or even an undrafted free agent. Um, fullbacks aren't in, in demand. You can get a good one for nothing. So... What option would you take?
1: Uh, I think if we're working on the assumption that Hightower would actually sign, then it's an absolute no-brainer. I'm taking Hightower every day of the week and twice on Sundays.
0: I used Hightower as a bit of a metaphor, though. I mean, I'd rather sign any elite talent at 10 million a year um, than sign those two guys. And look, I'm I'm not disparaging them. I'm sure they're great people, but. Kyle Uchak's a really good football player, but he's getting paid now like a top 10 running back, and the guy's a fullback.
1: Yeah, it doesn't make much sense. And
0: I, Yeah, that says everything that we need to know there. And I mean, San Francisco, they're, they're a very dysfunctional franchise, and
1: that just seems to continue. Mm, doesn't it? Well, we'll have to wait and see. Hopefully they uh, prove us wrong. We'll have to wait and see, of course. All right, so there you're tied second. let us Let's have you unload with your worst deal of free agency so far.
0: Oh, my worst deal of free agency is another offensive line. Has to be, and yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna send a little bit of a shout out to my mate Dylan. He's in our fantasy league. He's a Vikings fan, and he's been harping on all oh, the last twelve months, all year. He's been saying, "Oh man, the Vikings need to upgrade their offensive line. They really need to upgrade it." So what do they do? They go and pay Riley Reef five years. Fifty eight point seven five million dollars with twenty six point three fully guaranteed. It it's it's monopoly money, that man. Huge. You know, granted, Reef is a he's a five year starter in Detroit. So I think he was a first round pick, um, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think you're right. A, I think you're right. Yeah, some, it wouldn't surprise me if it was a top ten pick. Actually, round pick number nine. Um, he was a serviceable starter. So like, let's not, I'm not disparaging his play. Like, he's going to get by. You, he's going to be an upgrade because, I mean, they had Matt Khalil, who was terrible. So on, on that front, they couldn't have really done much worse. But he's not an elite guy, and you're paying him beyond elite money. He's probably worth, like, between 5 and $7 million at the most per year. So I'm going to compare him to Andrew Whitworth, I said Andrew Whitworth was my top um, offensive free agent. And he got a deal in Los Angeles with the Rams for $12 million per year. And Reef is getting a little under 12 per year. So the, the contracts are more or less comparable um, in terms of the amount um, on a per year basis. I know who I would rather have. And it's certainly not the guy that I'm paying in Minnesota.
1: No. I, and I tend to agree. I mean... You, you've got to, I guess, look at the fact that Whitworth's 35 going on 36, I think, and Riley Reef is obviously much younger, but I still think you're right. You're paying Riley Reef as, you know, as an elite guy, and he's not that. He's a solid starter, but he's not elite. And as we said all along, you, got, you get guys in free agency, you're overpaying
0: exactly and when it comes to free agents you're paying for instant impact you're not paying for someone who's gonna be good in three or four years time so who cares that Whitworth is old yeah if he can get if, if you can plug out at least another 12 months maybe another two seasons with him while you find a your left tackle of the future you can even draft and um, like draft a project or you can wait till next year when the drafts a lot stronger then you can draft the first round pick instead they've, they've locked themselves into this reef Who's going to... It's it's madness. I just... I can't understand it. Um, I feel like I've, I've laid almost like a slam Hayden on this. It's, it's, it does my head in because I've been looking at these contracts like all week and I just... I can't understand the rationale um, behind giving a guy like Reef nearly $12 million per year when Detroit were pretty happy to let him go in the first place.
1: Yeah, it's it's really weird one. I, I honestly don't know why they're paying him that much money but look, at least we can hang this over Dylan now, can't we? Oh, he's not going to hear the end of this, (laughs) mate (laughs) Alright, well that wraps up uh, our free agent coverage so far, Nads, I think you've done a pretty good job there of uh, rounding out the top three and the bottom three so uh, let's move along now, let's take a look at some draft previews, bud
0: All right, Dunk, I know you've been preparing quite a long time for this. It's time for your start of the preview for the 2017 NFL Draft. So we're going to be covering running backs and edge rushes today. So let's start off with the running backs. I'll let you take it from here.
1: Yeah, look, so as you said, I've I've been doing a lot of prep work for this, Nads. I've uh, I've watched a lot more game film than I think I've ever watched, uh, at least in terms of preparing for a draft. So... I've seen a lot of guys this year, Um, and so as I said, we're going to start with running backs, so how I'm going to do this, I've looked at, uh, i probably narrowed it down to, let's say 15 or so guys that I've looked at, and then from that, I'm just going to run through my top eight quickly, and then we're going to talk about a couple in particular, so there's a few surprises that I'll I'll throw out at people, so uh, we'll start at the bottom, number eight is a guy by the name of Kareem Hunt, he's a senior out of Toledo. Uh, Number seven, I've got Deonta Foreman. He's a junior from Texas. Number six, Marlon Mack, a junior from USF. Number five, Alvin Kamara, a junior from Tennessee. Uh, Number four, Christian McCaffrey, a junior from Stanford. Number three, and this is where it's going to get a little bit interesting for people. Number three, I've got Leonard Fournette, a junior from LSU. Number two, Dalvin Cook, a junior from Florida State. And my number one running back prospect is Joe Mixon, the redshirt sophomore out of Oklahoma, which I'm sure if people actually cared about my uh, draft scouting projections, that would you know that that cause a bit of a stir because a lot of people think it's you know out and out Dalvin Cook Leonard for one of the two, you know it goes back and forth between them. But for me, Joe Mixon is the number one. So where do you want to start, Nads? What should we do first?
0: Well, I think we've got to talk a bit about Mixon for, for starters because he, he's one that um, not many people have predicted as the number one guy. They certainly think he's a first-round talent, but it's it's quite interesting because pretty much what we've been talking about, or at least what you've been talking about about a month ago regarding Mixon in your slam dunk, how he had those character issues regarding violence, um, it seems to... things. I guess they're almost settling down in a way because we're seeing um, quite a few people um, or quite a few teams at least have been interviewing Mixon. Um, and also um, we're seeing like shows like Mike and Mike. They, they recently, about a week or so ago, they came, um, they had their regular show and they were talking, about Mixon, and how, oh, well, it was on video, so it always looked worse than what it really is, and the guy's a great guy, and, like, to be honest, I was convinced that they had listened to our podcast. It it, <laughs> it sounded, word for word, exactly what we covered a month ago, and I'm, I'm not trying to be um, bashful or arrogant about that, I'm just saying, it is what it is. Um, we certainly were ahead of the curve on that, and even in um, Mike Freeman, he's a reporter for Bleacher Report, he... He posts an article every couple of days, and his latest one, which has just been published a couple of hours ago, he talks about Joe Mixon, his stock rising significantly higher to the point where it might even be a first-round pick. So I don't think that the idea that um, Mixon should be discounted um, as a, as a later-round pick strictly because he's off-field concerns, so I, I disagree with that completely based on what I've heard at least for the last few weeks.
1: Yeah, exactly. So if we look at Mixon, I he's my number one prospect, but I don't think he's going to be the first running back taken. And I'd be surprised. I mean, it could change as, as time goes on, but at this point I'd be surprised if he went in the first round. I'd probably be surprised if he went in the second round. I think late second, early third is probably where you see him go at this point. But I think he's my number one talent. And the reason I say that... I'm going to touch quickly on Dalvin Cook and Leonard Fournette before we do. And the reason I've got Joe Mixon ahead of both of them is that I have question marks about those two. So starting with Fournette, and the reason that I've got him at number three, you look at him in college, this is an elite dude in terms of size and power, and he's a great north-south guy, but he almost seeks out contact. He wants to run through defenders. He doesn't rely on, on, you know, Duke spin moves, lateral movement. This is a guy that, oh, there you are. I'm going to just run straight through you because I can. Now... That's all well and good at the college level, but I have concerns about how that translates to the NFL. Now, you take a guy like Legarrett Blunt, who last year led the league in rushing touchdowns but had barely any yards. I see Fournette doing a similar sort of thing. I don't think he's going to be able to rely on his pure power like he does in in college. I don't think he has the lateral movement to be able to add that side to his game. Now, having said that, I can see a few similarities between him and Le'Veon Bell and Le'Veon Bell got drafted... But before Le'Veon Bell became any good, he dropped 15, 20 pounds. Now, if Fournette drops 15, 20 pounds, all of a sudden he's a completely different back and, and you know, maybe he adds that, that lateral movement side to his game. So that's, uh, that's my thought process for why I haven't got him higher. Dalvin Cook, he's the sort of guy that, in the right system, I think he will be a very good talent and I think he should be the first back taken. Um, he's got some character issues of his own that he's dealing with. They're obviously not as well publicized as Joe Mixon's, but he's dealing with his own stuff there. Um, and a few other little bits and pieces. He's not particularly strong. He's really not good in short yardage and on the goal line. And, I mean, he ran a four-four-nine at the combine, but I think he plays a little bit slower than that. From what I saw on tape, he doesn't have that, like, elite, you know, you're never going to catch me once I've broken through the whole speed. So that's a little bit of concern for me with Dalvin Cook. Having said that, we're really nitpicking with these guys. Now, if we go to Joe Mixon, you watch the tape. The only knock that I can find on Joe Mixon looking at his tape is that you know he's not the best in pass protection, but he's okay. And he has a tendency to bounce the ball outside too early. So they're like the two big concerns you've got with him. And then obviously the off-field character issues, which we've covered to death. You look at the pros. He's 6'1", He's two twenty six pounds. We didn't get his stats because he obviously wasn't at the combine in terms of you know forty time, but that'll come out at his pro day. But that's prototypical size. You know, he's got great hips, great feet. He's a very strong runner, even though he's not violent like uh, like Leonard Fournette. But the things that gets me. He's explosive through the hole. He's got great, great burst. But at the same time, he's very patient. He waits for the right hole to open up. He's got good vision and spotting those holes opening up. Um, and when he finds it, he just hits that hole hard. He explodes through it. He's got great balance and great lateral movement. And he can catch the ball out of the backfield really well. Really good at going up there, locating the ball at the top of the uh, the pass. And he can contribute on special teams. You look at the film, he ticks all of the boxes, Nads the only issues really are the character ones and as we've said, I think he's dealt with them you know as as well as he could have since it's happened so when you take that all into consideration, I was sitting here going, I'm just struggling to put him anywhere but number one on my on my running back list
0: no you've summed it up really well you you've obviously watched a lot of tape on this um, a hell of a lot mate a yeah. I think that the interesting one about Mixon is that he can do it all. So he's your good runner, but he can also catch the ball out the backfield. And that's, that's what we're, we're seeing with running backs these days. They're not your, your prototypical running backs that will get 20, 25 carries a game anymore. That, that day and age is gone. And that's why, that's why you're seeing so many running backs now they're regarded as a dime a dozen. Because any, anyone, so to speak, can just be, a, be an outlet pass in the backfield. Um, but there are some guys that are really good at it. Mixon's really good at being like that valve. And I want to I lead you to our next guy that we can talk about, um, Christian McCaffrey. Yep. He's, in my opinion, he's probably the best receiving um, running back in this draft. And I've watched a lot of Stanford games and I just can't, like, he's so shifty. He is ridiculously shifty.
1: Yep, he is. And I think he's, a, he's an interesting prospect to evaluate in terms of the running back class. Purely because I don't think he should play... Uh, I'm going to say if, if he plays 50% of the snaps that he's on the field, if he plays at running back, I think that's about right. I think he's the kind of guy that to get the best out of his production at the next level, you've know, you got to give him 10, 15 carries a game maybe and then you know another bunch of, of, of snaps lined up in the slot gadget plays special teams contributor the guy can do it all as you say he's, he's very very shifty but the thing that really gets me about McCaffrey that I love he doesn't change gears like when he goes to change direction there is no down changing gears to change direction it's just stick the foot in the ground move the other way we're still going at top speed he ran a 448 at the combine so if he's running a four four eight forty without changing gears to change direction like that's ridiculous that's where he gets his shiftiness from from that ability to really just you know switch direction in a flash
0: yeah that change of speed that ch- uh, sorry not change of speed change of direction that's made me like in my opinion I reckon he's got the the most football speed in the draft in terms of running backs because he's just so shifty um, I, I really see someone like New England trading into the first round and like late in the round and getting him because he would be a really good fit there. But that being said, I think he fits the modern offense to a T. I think 32 teams would love to
1: have him. I think you're right. Um, I'm not going to go into too much more detail with him, but a couple of other little points, uh, very versatile guy at Stanford. He'd, he'd been run out of the eye, the pistol, the offset, the gun, wildcat. doesn't matter. You throw him in any formation, you can run him out of it. Um, And he's got really, really good instincts, which I think helps you know, contribute. And this is a guy who's a runner-up in the Heisman, so he's obviously talented.
0: Yeah, I thought he was going to win the Heisman until the Louisville quarterback went nuts. So uh,
1: he certainly was the favorite going into the year. He was. All right, let's move on. Uh, One other guy that I really want to talk about, and um, it kind of pains me a little bit that I can't rank him higher because I actually think he's an absolute jet, and I think he's a first-round talent. And that's Alvin Kamara out of Tennessee. Now, I just want to read you some numbers, lads, uh, Nads. This guy tore up the combine, okay? So, he's 5'10", 214 pounds. So, you know, he's not a big guy, but he's not small. He's kind of like that in-between size for a running back. Yeah, it's he good runs, size, though. Yeah, oh, definitely a good size. He runs a four five six forty, which is, you know, it's it's slower than Leonard Finette, who's like 15 pounds heavier. So, it's not, you know... Top speed, not great. But he had a 39.5-inch vertical. Wow. To, to put it in perspective, the next highest was 37.5 out of, out of these top running backs. So he's two inches clear of the next best. And guys like Dalvin Cook, he's 30.5. You know, uh, Leonard Fournette, obviously not expecting him to be explosive. He's 28.5. So this dude is an explosive beast. Add to that an 131-inch broad jump. The guy, you just you watch the way he plays. He's got really, really good feet, and he is explosive when he decides to go. Bam, he goes. But the thing that really got me when I was when I was watching him on tape, the way he plays reminds me a lot of LaShawn McCoy. And if you look at LaShawn McCoy's stats coming out of um, college, McCoy was five ten. Kamara is five ten. McCoy was 198 pounds. Kamara's a little bit heavier at 214. McCoy ran a 4.540. Kamara ran a 4.540. Uh, McCoy's vertical was 40 inches. Alvin Kamara's is 39 and a half. Uh, sorry, sorry. 29 inches for McCoy. 39 and a half inches for Kamara. So he's he's basically like a better version of LaShawn McCoy, is how I look at it. He's really patient. He's got great vision. It was really fun to watch this guy because his, his, just the way that he runs, he's strong through his hips. You can line him up anywhere you want. You know He's got great cutback, great balance. He's just bouncing off of guys, making people miss all over the place. It was just really fun to watch this guy. Um, the only real knocks I've got on him, he's never had more than 20 carries in a game. In his entire college career, never had more than 20 carries. And there wasn't a huge amount of tape to watch on him. Um, So, you know, you've got a few little issues there. You sort of go, well, is there enough of a sample size to really make, you know, a a fair judgment on him? Um, But I think with what I saw, it's really fun to watch. I think a team that gets him, you know, you're probably going to get him in the second, third round. That's a steal. He's a first round talent every day of the week. Um, and I'm really excited to see where he ends up.
0: Yeah, I mean, if he can put off um, half the numbers that McCoy's done, I think they're going to get a good
1: pick. Oh, for sure. Um, one other little thing before we move on to the defensive ends. I'll throw out a sleeper. Out of my remaining guys, I think uh, I I think Donta Foreman out of Texas, he's a bigger running back. He's 6'1", 249. If teams can get him late, I think they're going to be onto... Uh, a, a decent player in the right system he's a big strong guy um, he'll, he'll fill a hole and he produced really really well out of Texas but he did have a huge workload so there are a few concerns with him but I think at late in the draft he'll be good value and you could also look at some guys like Jeremy McNichols out of Boise State or um, you know Joe Williams out of Utah Jamal Williams out of BYU there's a few other names to throw at you later in the draft well, you summed it up really
0: well mate all right, Dunk. So we've covered the running backs of the the NFL draft. Let's move on to edge rushes.
1: Yeah, all right, Nads. So we did. uh we had uh, my top eight guys at running back. So I'm only gonna do top five defensive, well, pass rushes, I should say. And the reason is because we're talking edge guys specifically. We're not talking defensive ends or linebackers or anything like that. So it's pure edge rushes. So we've got top five. So we're gonna start at the bottom, and we're gonna work to the top. So number five, Nads, I got Charles Harris. He's a redshirt junior out of Missouri. Um really interesting guy in the, in the very beginning of this sort of draft process, he was kind of down a little bit for most experts. Um, but as time's gone on after the, you know, people watch more tape, um, after the combine, his stocks gone up. So now he's getting predicted to be a first round pick. Um, Look, he's, he's a big dude. He's got long legs, long legs. Sorry, really fluid hips, and a really great lateral quickness side to side. But the thing I really love about him is he's a really high-octane guy in the way that he plays. From the start of the game to the end, he's 100% flat out the whole way through. He doesn't switch off for any snaps, which is exactly what you want. Um, he's got a whole arsenal of moves to get to the quarterback. He's got a great spin move, a good rip, got a good slap spin. Uh, sorry, slap swim move. So he's got a whole arsenal. He doesn't rely on just one thing to get there. Uh, great agility, and he's got a lot of versatility in where he lines up. He can he can play up. He can play with his hand in the dirt. He can line up on either side of the line, so there's a lot of versatility there. Um, in terms of negatives, he's only sort of an average bulk-size length guy. Like, physically, he's only kind of average in terms of what you're looking for for the position. Um he needs to work on his hands a little bit. He's, he's uh, got, a lot, got all these moves to get to the quarterback, but doesn't really use his hands particularly well. And, of course, that means that he rides blocks a little bit too long. Uh, when he plays the run, he's got a, a, a slow reaction time sometimes. So he's a little bit slow, you know, reacting to things like counters, play action, misdirection, that sort of thing. Um, but for the most part, really solid talent. Obviously I I think he's a first round guy as well and that seems to be the consensus that's coming out amongst the uh, the other analysts.
0: Yeah, it's interesting with him it seems like there's a little bit of a concern that like can he be coached? And I find it quite interesting that that sort of come out, given that he's got such a high motor and that he's relentless pretty much every play. You'd think that someone like that would be really coachable. So I, I don't get how it matches up.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. We were talking, talking about a similar sort of thing with uh, Terrell Pryor earlier in the episode. So, you know, guys that have great talent. <clears throat> excuse me. Guys that have great talent, but coaches, you know, they want you to just... If you just change this slightly, fix this, you'll be much better at this part of the game. Sometimes players think they know best, and obviously when you're evaluating talent, these guys aren't perfect, like, aren't you know complete polished packages coming out of college. They need to be able to be coached and, and tutored and mentored to work on particular parts of their game to, to make them into those solid professionals. So that's a little bit of a red flag for, for evaluators.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, no Hall of Fame player comes out a finished product from the draft.
1: No, exactly right.
0: Okay, let's move on. Who you got as number four?
1: So number four, I've got Derek Barnett. He's a junior out of Tennessee. And I'm just going to start off by saying, Nads, for those... Do you know Reggie White? Yeah, absolute superstar for the Packers. Correct, absolute superstar. Derek Barnett broke his college record for the most sacks at Tennessee in his college career. And he did it in one less year. It's impressive. On a pure production basis, he's the best edge rusher in the class. His stats are phenomenal for his college career. Um, But look, the things that you really love about this guy, he's got really, really good hands, like elite hands. They're strong and they're fast and they're efficient in the way that he uses them. Look, he's not content to just set the edge. He's, he's the guy He wants to make the play. He's not content to just do the job. So he's got that great hustle to really finish off those plays. Um, he's a ferocious hitter. When you get hit by him, you feel it. He's got great field awareness. He's a really powerful dude. Um, and look, he can he can drop out a little bit and play some zones. So if you're running a zone blitz scheme, he, he's capable of dropping out and playing that zone if you want to blitz somebody else. Um, in terms of what he needs to work on, little bit of a concern with his athleticism. So out of the top five guys, he's got the slowest 40 time at 4.88 seconds. He's also got the uh, lowest vertical jump at 31 inches. So there's a few concerns about his athleticism there, uh, but he makes up for it um, with, with his great hands, great awareness, great hustle, etc., um, he's a little bit inconsistent against the run and, uh, you know, with not the best instincts, which I think kind of lends itself to that as well. Um, and another big problem, he's a snap count guesser. So a lot of uh, offside penalties because he he's doesn't have that, you know, explosive first step. So he kind of relies a little bit more on, on guessing the snap count and that leads to penalties.
0: Yeah, well, you've summed it up really good there. I mean, the the biggest issue is the athleticism side of things because he's going to need to like be like the athleticism in the college game is nowhere near what, what it is in the pro. So he's going to have some issues on that front. I think my biggest issue is the, the 40 time is low 4.88. That being said, I'd like to know what the 10 yard split was. If, if yeah, we look, have a 10, I, I
1: don't, yeah, I don't know it off the top of my head, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, obviously that that plays a part. Um, at a guess, I'd say not, it's not fantastic.
0: Yeah, you don't have um, defensive ends and edge rushers running forty yards down the line though. So no, if, you don't. If, I I would be looking at the ten yards and then making a comparison on that. But certainly on the film side, it it seems like he's got a bit of a slower get off.
1: Yep, and but but at the end of the day, you can't argue with the production.
0: I'm not so sure because like we've seen guys. I'll take it back a few years. We had Michael Sam, and he was the the SEC Defensive Player of the Year. Um, for I think it was Missouri, and it turned like he's a bust. He's out of the league now, so I'm not sure that you can just look at the the sack numbers and go, oh, okay, yep. He's going to be a surefire guy. When we look, we see so many guys at the college level have elite production, and then for what for whatever reason, um, they just don't seem to stick in the league. But hey, to watch this space, the draft's a bit of a crapshoot anyway. So he's going to be drafted high, and good luck to
1: him. Oh, exactly right. It, as you say, it is a bit of a crapshoot. But at the end of the day, you'd rather have the the production than not, wouldn't you?
0: Oh, of course. You don't want to um, have a guy that's absolutely low on their production coming out of college because then you just have to develop them even more in the pros mm. and then by the time that you've developed them they hit free agency and then they go somewhere <laughs> else and you're helping someone else so it's, exactly right. Yeah, you're, you're certainly rather a, a, a more refined product early on.
1: For sure. Alright I'll move on to number three then Nads. Tim Williams senior out of Alabama now look he's an interesting prospect to evaluate and I say that because he is the epitome of a pure pass rusher. Okay? If if you are evaluating purely based on their ability to rush the quarterback, he's probably number one on this list. There's a reason he's not number one, and that's because he doesn't really give you anything else, okay? But you look at him on film, he has the best first step out of all of these guys. He's so explosive. Um, he's got a really good understanding and feel for the arc that you you know, that the, the the direction and the way that you actually rush the passer, he's got good hands. He uses them well and he times them well. As a pure edge guy, he's probably sorry. As a pure pass rush guy, he's probably the best guy here. But he has a lot of work as a run defender. He's the kind of guy that you're drafting, and you probably to start with, you're only putting him on the field in really obvious passing situations. Um, so you know that's probably what's keeping him from being one of those real top end prospects because. You don't want to be wasting, you know, let's say a top ten pick on a guy that's only going to play 20 snaps a game or 30 snaps a game. So, you know, he's got a lot of work to do as a run defender. Um, and and probably the biggest thing for that is that it almost seems like he's so focused on getting to the quarterback that he doesn't really, he's he's not able to locate the ball. So when it gets handed off, when they run little misdirections, counters, screens, play action, etc., he really struggles to react accordingly because he's so hell-bent on getting to the quarterback yeah
0: it's interesting that you bring up the location of the ball because Alabama's defense is usually such um, uh, so stringent and so fundamentally sound that um, it really is a testament to how good uh, Williams pass rushing skills are because for the most part, if you can't get the fundamentals right at Alabama, Saban just won't play you on D.
1: No, exactly right. But the interesting thing is, and this is another knock on on Williams, or a question mark, I should say, not a knock, a question mark. And it's a question mark on all these guys, but I'm just going to rattle off some names. We haven't covered these guys, but you've got Tim Williams, you've got Jonathan Allen, you've got Reuben Foster, you've got uh, Ryan Anderson. These are all guys that are projected to be or well, most of them are projected to be first-round guys, or at least you know top three rounds, let's say, all playing on defense at the same time. So you've got to have a few question marks. You know, How good are these guys individually, or is it just the sheer amount of talent that they had that they're able to rely on the people around them to, to get the production that they did? So it's one of those question marks that's really hard to judge. Um, but it, you know, I think some evaluators would have it sitting in the back of their minds. For sure, um, there's certainly, there's been quite a few
0: Alabama busts. Let's, let's not kid ourselves, just because they're drafted um, and they come from Alabama, it doesn't mean that they're going to be a good player. But that being said, if you could go to any college as a, as a defender, you'd pretty much want to go there because you know that oh, yeah. you're going to have, have a, good, a good chance to, um, to perform. 100%. All right let's move on to number two it's a, it's a little bit of a hometown one this one it's a little bit close to home it Bring is it up, so Solomon number Thomas. two
1: Solomon Thomas he's a redshirt sophomore out of Stanford uh, that's you say he's a hometown guy that's because he spent the first uh, five years of his childhood living down under in Australia uh, Sorry, yeah. I don't know if it was the, sorry I don't know if it was the first five years but he definitely spent five years of his childhood in Australia. Um, Look, he's got a really great pedigree. Both of his, his parents are elite uh, athletes of, of various, you know, codes. Um, but just his, his sheer athleticism is, is ridiculous. You know, he, he's got, um, he, he ran a four six nine forty, which is very fast. He had a 35-inch vert, which is very good, 126-inch uh, broad jump. So really, really explosive guy. He's got great athleticism. He uses his hands very, very well. He's got a variety of moves. He's, he's got a spin move, he's got a bull rush, he's got a swipe, he's got it all. Um, really great pursuit, and he can stack and hold at the point of the attack in run plays as well, so he offers you that. Um, and to top it all off, to go with all that explosion and that athleticism, he's got great lateral movement side to side. He uh, On the flip side, though, he's another guy that's a snap count guesser, so he doesn't have the best first step despite his, his explosiveness and his athleticism. Uh, He had seven offside penalties in 2016 alone. So, you know, that's quite a few for a guy. Um, That's costing you some serious yards over the course of a season. Um, He's got a bit of an inconsistent pad level. um, And he struggles to get out of double-team. So that's going to be interesting to see what happens at the next level, whether or not he gets double-team very much. But he kind of tended to get washed out. Uh, when, when he was up against the double team. And the only other knock really is that there are a few plays that he sort of looked at it, and it looked like he left a sack on the field. He did all the hard work, got into the backfield, but then just couldn't bring the quarterback to the ground for whatever reason. Um, and obviously that's something you've got to factor in when you're looking at pass rushes.
0: Of course. I, I just really think that it's great that we've got another guy with Aussie ties um, that's going to gonna get drafted high in the first round. He could conceivably go in the top five, if not higher. I've, um, I've
1: seen him mocked as high as 2.
0: Yeah, same. Uh, it won't surprise me if he goes to San Francisco. I really think San Francisco's pick is going to be between Solomon Thomas and Jonathan Allen. So, look, it, it's it's exciting times because we're now seeing that with um, guys who have spent time in Australia, we're no longer stereotyped as a kicker or a punter. Yeah. Um, I guess, and even the punters now, you've got someone like Brad Wing who... He, he's changed changed the way that people um, definitely look at like, Australian punters. That's for sure with his mobility. Yep. And then um, on top of it, you, got, you had like Jared Hain. Granted, he yeah. he look he wasn't successful, but he still broke the ground and proved that it was possible. And um, Adam Gotsis for the Denver yep. Broncos. He's a defensive lineman. He got drafted in the second round last year. Yep. Um, Jesse Williams. So, exactly it's a shame um, with what happened to jesse um, with his health issues but look it's really exciting that we're seeing a lot more aussies in the league because the exposure of the the american football game in australia is ever increasing more people are talking about it at school at university it's becoming more um culturally accepted Mm -hmm. and um it's really exciting i think there is a Absolutely huge market in Australia that the NFL is eventually going to tap into. I think you're
1: spot on there, Nads.
0: Let's move on, mate, to the last one. Number one. It's hardly a guess at this point.
1: Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett. He is the consensus. I I don't think I've seen a single mock draft where he's not the first overall pick. Uh, He's just a freak of nature. So he's a junior from Texas A&M. If you don't know about him, you sure, you sure enough you soon will. So he's six foot four, 272 pounds, he runs a 46440. he's got a 41 inch vertical, which is insane at his size and he's got a 128 inch broad jump, and he had 33 reps on the bench press. So he ticks all of the boxes. He's got prototypical size, length, athleticism, explosiveness, speed. He's got it all. He's just an absolutely insane athlete. He's got ridiculous explosion off the line, really powerful legs, but he's also very, very agile for his size, which makes him really difficult for tackles to deal with. Um, If he gets that first step, which most of the time he does, tackles just have no hope. Um, Look, he's got a really good inside spin move as well. Uh, He's really disruptive against the run, doesn't shy away from that duty. Uh, He can play with his hand in the dirt, he can play standing up. It doesn't phase him, he can do it all. And the thing that really impressed me, Nads, I heard a couple of interviews with uh, not only his high school football coach, but also his high school basketball coach. And uh, he had to choose between the two, whether he wanted to play football or basketball, and he was a freak at both. Um, Probably would have made it to the NBA had he stayed with basketball, but he picked football. But when he made the decision to play football he would still go to the basketball game, still go in the locker with, locker room with the guys from the basketball team, and he was still like that positive leadership presence, even though he wasn't playing. And I think that speaks to his character. And when you draft a guy number one overall, sure, you look at his talent and all the rest of it, but you want to draft a guy that's got great character and is going to be a leader and, and that true, I guess, franchise talent on your team, and Miles Garrett ticks all those boxes. If, if I'm going to nitpick... I've I've got to come up with something I don't like. He's he's one of these guys that you see it a lot in that he's he's ridiculously athletic, and he's so athletic that he he's over reliant on it. And at the college level, he gets away with being able to rely so heavily on his athleticism, but he really needs to refine his technique a little bit, particularly in how you know he strings his moves together, coming out with a pass rush plan of attack, etc. He really needs to work on, on the technical side of his art and, the, and it, his craft. Um, and the other problem he's got is that he's got uh, very reactive hands. So I watched uh, the game film of Texas A&M against Alabama. So Garrett was lining up against uh, Cam Robinson from Alabama, who's pretty one of the top tackle prospects in the draft. And you watch the two, and it basically came down to if Garrett got the first step He pretty much won the battle. If he didn't get the first step, he lost most of the time because Robinson's got really, really good hands and he's very, very good at engaging the guys coming off the edge. And so Garrett really struggled because his hands are so reactive. As soon as he got engaged, he just rode the block for too long, couldn't get off it, couldn't get around and get to the quarterback in time. So that's something else that he's going to have to work on when he gets to the next level. But look, he's as close to a sure thing as you're going to get.
0: Okay, if there was any... NFL player that you'd like to compare him to,
1: who would it be? Who? Compare as in who offers a similar skill set?
0: I think someone, someone that who um, you see as a comp- a comparable
1: player. Um, if you were to put side by side, the first name that springs to mind, um, and. I'm going to have to put a caveat on this, but the first name that springs to mind is Julius Peppers, but not current Julius Peppers. Julius Peppers in his prime yep. is the guy that springs to mind. That's who he reminds me of. Um, yeah, that's probably what I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with Julius Peppers in his prime.
0: Okay, yeah, the guy that I had in my head was um, Clowney, but without, the, without the, character. the character issues, yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He, 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 he reminds me so much of what Clowney did. Um, when he was playing in South Carolina.
1: Yeah, I think that's a fair comparison too.
0: Except um, he's obviously got a bit more production because Clowney didn't have the best senior year because he was getting doubled the whole time. But
1: well, actually, you oh. say that that's a, um, probably one of the uh, one of the knocks that people have on Mars Garrett is his production. So um, I'm just gonna grab. It. I don't have it off the top of my head, but in his. Uh, in his uh, last year, so he comes, he's coming out as a junior. But in his last year, um, he only had eight and a half sacks in in the season. But of that, he had um, I want to say five. I think he had four or five sacks in one game against um, I think it was East Texas or somebody. It was it was you know the majority of his sacks for the year came in one game against a pretty average team. So. You know, you're a little bit skeptical uh, in, in terms of, of his production, but pure talent, pure athleticism, there's nobody close. No, I completely agree. He's
0: going to be the number one pick in the draft. It's, it's absolutely no doubt about that.
1: But that wraps us up for, uh, for edge rushes for my top five, anyway. Um, look, I think for next episode, we're going to go the same sort of track. We're going to go one offense, one defense. So I think uh for offense, let's take a look at some quarterback, shall we, Nads? Yeah, good idea, mate. Let's have a look at some tape and uh for defense, let's let's go the opposite. Let's go from, from edge rushes, let's go all the way back to the back end, let's look at some safeties.
0: Ah, uh, sure thing. Alright, Dunk, I know you've been brewing this up for quite some time. You've been letting it fester all week. It's that time of the episode again. It's time for your slam, Dunk. Yeah. yeah. Well,
1: dunk. Yes, it is that time, Nads, I just want to start out, I just want to mention, obviously we're in free agency now, so this is going to be a free agency theme slam dunk. The hysteria that's going on with free agency, I mean, it happens every year, but this year I think more than ever, we've just seen so many ridiculous things that have gone on in free agency that I just couldn't help but make a short little list, and we're going to run through some of them. Because, Nads, I was sitting there with some of these going, like, what is going on? Like, we talked about, you know, the ridiculous deals that are getting thrown around, but that's that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about just downright stupid, ridiculous, like, unbelievable things that have actually happened. So, I've got four main ones that I want to run through in, in this slam dunk. So, we're going to start with uh, with Donta Hightower. So... Obviously, at the time of recording this now, he's re-signed with the Patriots. But, Donta Hightower, what are you doing? You are trying to out-mind-game the greatest mind-gamer of all time. He's going around shopping himself out to every team that will you know, let him into their facility, trying to bump up his price so that Belichick and the Patriots have to pay him more to keep him in New England when everybody knew the whole time that that's exactly where he was going and that's exactly what was happening. You know, part of me was wondering if, on some level, maybe this is some sort of scheme that him and Belichick have concocted whereby he can go into all the facilities of other teams and just see what they're doing, see what's happening, get some inside info that he can take back to the Patriots. I mean, I know he was at the Jets for a little while, so, you know, divisional rival, he was at the Steelers for a bit. Big rival in the AFC, so I was a little bit concerned, but Donta Hightower, come on, man. Sort yourself out. You can't be going around shopping yourself out to all these other teams when everybody knows exactly what you're doing and exactly what you're playing at, and you're trying to take on Bill Belichick. I mean, come on. I just didn't understand that one. On the same Donta Hightower topic, the New York Jets have sunk to an all-new low, Nads. They have gone all out in trying to sign Hightower from the Patriots. They pulled out every stop you could possibly think of, but they went above and beyond the call of duty to try and land Hightower, and to be perfectly honest with you, Nads, I'm surprised that he didn't sign on the spot. So, the Jets invited him to their facility, gave him a tour, had a bit of an interview, had a chat, talked contracts, but you know what they did to really throw out the welcome mat, Nads? They baked him birthday cake. Like little birthday cupcakes to celebrate his birthday. That was part of their really big package to try and lure him to the Jets. Now, I don't know if they thought they were interviewing Eddie Lacy because I'm sure that would have worked on him. But Eddie Lacy was not in the building. It was Donta Hightower and they thought the cupcakes were going to seal the deal. And lo and behold, it didn't. New York Jets, come on. You, no shame? Really? Like cupcakes? Come on. What are we doing here? Moving on, we're going to stick with the Patriots a little bit more. Bill Belichick. As I just said, greatest mind gamer of all time, and there's no better example than what he's done with his cornerbacks, but I think he's even gone too far. So it came out, obviously, the Patriots signed Stefan Gilmore from the Buffalo Bills to a huge deal. It's $65 million over five years with $40 million in guaranteed money. That's insane. Okay? Now... Putting aside the fact that I think they've overpaid for Gilmore, that's a horrible message to send to your number one cornerback in Malcolm Butler. So, Butler's been making noise for a while now that he wants a new deal. I think ever since that interception from Russell Wilson in the Super Bowl, he's rated himself as the best corner in the league. Now, look, he's a pretty damn good corner. I'm not going to lie. I'd like to have him on the Colts if he wanted to be there. But Bill Belichick, what are you doing? You're treating him like garbage. In 2016, Butler was paid $600,000. That was his salary. This year, he's been uh, tagged with the restricted free agency tender. He's on $3.9 million. And you're paying Stefan Gilmore $65 million over five years. Last year, the Patriots offered him, offered uh, Butler, that is, 6 to $7 million a year, and told him they would never pay a cornerback more than $10 million. And the next chance they get they go out and give Gilmore an absolutely ridiculous deal well over $10 million a season. I just, just be, like, Belichick, I mean, I know that you, you're, playing, you're playing chess, everybody else is playing checkers, I get it. But Butler is your guy, he's on your roster. Treat him with some respect and give him a reasonable contract. And last but not least, Nads, and this one, I, I just couldn't help but laugh when I saw this story come out. So, Devon House. He's uh, in negotiations, he's a cornerback, he's in negotiations, he's a free agent, he's talking to a whole bunch of teams, trying to figure out where to go. The two teams that were really in the running for him at the end are the Green Bay Packers and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Two of the most winningest franchises in the history of of American football. You think when you're dealing with some really quality organisations like that, some people who have just been the hallmark of success for so many years, you treat them with some respect, right? Oh, no, 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 no. Not Devon House. Devon House doesn't care what you think. <laughs> Devon House, this is, this is what happened, Dad. So Devon House goes to the Packers. He has an interview. He took a tour of the facility, all the rest of it. All the bells and whistles. And he's like, all right, I'm going to see what else is on the market. And that's okay. I get that. There's a lot of guys going around seeing what's out there, and they're making an informed decision. No problem with that. So he goes over to Pittsburgh, goes to the Steelers facility, gets a tour, gets an interview, meets the players, meets the staff, all the rest of it. And you would think, okay, Devon, you've you've seen both. Let's go away. Let's make a decision, and then and then figure out what's best for you, and sign with the team you want to sign with. But no, Devon House, he goes to the Steelers. He sees what he needs to see. Makes a decision on the spot. Now it's on the spot, right there. He makes his decision. And you're sort of thinking at this point, well, okay, maybe he just liked what he saw at the Steelers. But no, 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 no. That's not what happened. So Devon House, from the lobby of the Steelers facility, makes a phone call to the Green Bay Packers. And signs with the Packers. From the lobby of the Steelers facility. He hasn't even left the building, Nads. He's still in the building at the Steelers. And he's signing on with the Packers. I mean, have a little respect, man. Come on. I'm just... I'm over it, Nads. This free agency has been ridiculous. Not just with the money, but just in general. People are just... I I don't know. I'm losing faith in the human race, Nads. It's it's ridiculous.
0: Mate, you've blown it out the water this week. You know, you've summed up how absolutely mind-numbingly stupid and ridiculous that free agency is. And I guess at the end of the day, there's a reason. I'm not sure if they say it in America, but certainly when it comes to off-seasons in Australia, we call it the silly season for a reason. Oh,
1: 100%. And this year has taken the silliness to a whole new level. I just had to get it off my chest. But hopefully it's going to calm down now. We're sort of winding down. Hopefully I'm not going to have to fire off again next week. Uh, sure thing
0: well that brings us to the end of end of our episode of any given monday and we thank you all for listening um make sure that you check us out next week because we're going to be doing an absolute hell of another belter of a show um in the meantime make sure that you follow us on twitter so we're at any given mon m-o-n pod p-o-d so that's any given m-o-n-p-o-d and we're also on Facebook there, so if you if you like us there at any given Monday Pod, um, check us out. We do a few social media plugs every now and then, and um, we really keep you informed of what's happening twenty four seven around
1: the league. On top of that, guys, don't forget to check us out individually, so you can find Nads on Twitter. At HB Nadolny N A D O L N Y, and you can catch me at D Song S O A N G. And again, remember that hashtag #AskNads. Uh, get those questions firing in. We'll have another segment of that back next episode. Yeah, definitely. Looking
0: forward to it. But in the meantime, guys, stay safe. Take care. Keep fighting for those inches. Have a good one. He catch up it's 40
1: who is the man 35 looking at him go 30 25 he got the 20 gets a ball he go